June the 6th, 1944, a date etched in history as D-Day. An invasion took place here in Normandy that brought the curtain down on a global conflict that took the lives of over 50 million people. The Bible graphically portrays the human problem. War will only cease when the war is won within the human heart. D-Day was the largest amphibious assault in history. 150,000 men and 50,000 vehicles were landed along a 50-mile stretch of coast by 4,000 landing craft supported by 3,000 warships and 12,000 warplanes, equivalent in scale to transporting a medium-sized city 100 miles across the sea in one day in complete secrecy. As the future of the entire free world hung so desperately in the balance, political and military leaders alike feared and even predicted a catastrophe. The man in charge of it all was General Dwight D. Eisenhower. He would later become the 34th President of the United States of America. He had two press releases written for the world's media the one taking personal responsibility for the appalling loss of tens of thousands of young lives was never read out. D-Day was a stunning success, thanks in the main to the many individual stories of heroism. Many of the heroes that day carried with them a small pocket Bible in their uniform. I guess when the bullets are flying and the mortars are exploding, it rather focuses the mind somewhat on the big questions of life, whatever side you're fighting for. Is there meaning to this life? What happens afterwards? Does God exist and can he be known? The task of the British 6th Airborne Division was to seize and hold the eastern flank of the invasion. To do that, they needed to capture that bridge intact and hold it until relieved. The mission was carried out by 180 men of the Oxenbucks Light Infantry Division, 2nd Battalion, under the leadership of Major John Howard. The story is legendary. Six Halifax bombers, each towing a horse glider, nicknamed the Hearse, in a touch of airborne gallows humour, departed RAF Tarrant Rushton in Dorset. As they crossed the occupied French coastline, the gliders were released and the Halifaxes went on to bomb the city of Caen as a diversion. The parachutes at the rear of the gliders were deployed, but they still came down at 100 miles an hour skidding on the mud. There's no sophisticated way to bring a horse or glider down. And even before the action started, the men on board 
were in grave danger of serious injury or even death. The four glider pilots charged with the job of landing the men to attack the bridge landed within 50 yards of the target. It was an example of stunning precision flying and one of those heroic contributions that day that is so often airbrushed out of the story. If somebody come to me now and said, you're going to take a wooden aeroplane with no engines, fly it six miles in the dark and land in a field half the size of a football pitch, I would ask to be excused. You know? But uh, in those days, you couldn't. The little Bible that many of the men carried in their breast pocket portrays a picture of Jesus as the bridge to God, the route through the divine connector, the place of crossing and the access point. He's how we get from where we are to where we need to be, bridging the chasm between a God who is perfect and the rest of us who are not. After a fierce 10 minute firefight, the bridge was under Allied control. It was all over by 12.26 a.m., six hours before the landings on the beaches and only 90 minutes after the gliders left RAF Tarrant Rushton back in England. In honour of the British 6th Airborne Division and their flying horse emblem, the bridge was renamed Pegasus Bridge. Den Brotheridge led the first attack onto the bridge, firing from the hip, but was shot through the neck halfway across. He was just an ordinary lad like all the others in his 20s, a very talented footballer who'd signed for Aston Villa before the war. He had a daughter who was born two weeks after D-Day. He never saw her. Brotheridge became the first fatality on D-Day. Following the British landings, the battalion were relieved by six commando who were part of the 1st Special Service Brigade who had departed from Warsash near Southampton the night before. They were commanded by an upper-class Scotsman called Brigadier Lord Lover. It's impossible to tell this part of the story without mentioning another chap called Bill Millen. He became known as the Mad Piper of Normandy. Traditionally, the bagpipes were played at the head of every Irish and Scottish regiment in battle, but by World War II, they were really only seen as ceremonial. Lover insisted that the men were piped onto Sword Beach by 21-year-old Private Millen, insisting that the English War Office had no jurisdiction over either of them because they were both Scots. So the young, unarmed piper led the whole brigade into combat, playing Road to the Isles and Highland Laddie. The gripping story of Pegasus Bridge has stood the test of time, and it's a place that I've been to many times. I do understand that not everyone signs up to the Christian worldview, but for me, it is a poignant reminder of a bridge 
that was secured at tremendous cost. The bridge back to God was also secured at a high price, the life and death of Jesus Christ, his son. Through the sacrifice of that one life, the power of death was disarmed and the way back to God was made open for each one of us, back to a God who both created us and loves us. On the far side of the bridge is the Gondre Cafe that is still owned by the same family that owned it on D-Day. It was quickly turned into a field hospital to care for Den Brotheridge and then for other paratroopers who were caught up in the battle. It's now a living memorial to the British 6th Airborne Division and also a place of personal pilgrimage. Every year on June the 6th, since 1944, the veterans have returned in ever-decreasing numbers to remember the days when they were young men in uniform and to honour the fallen. Pegasus Bridge and the Gondre Café epitomise the immense contribution of the British forces on D-Day. Most of the men who died in the fighting around here are buried in the British cemetery up the road in Romville. It is a reminder of the tragic loss of so many young lives, people who never made it out of Normandy. Some of the inscriptions on the headstones carry these words, known unto God. Those tragic words represent the absence of closure for so many families whose sons were never identified. The expression was first used by Rudyard Kipling, the famous poet and author. His son died in Ypres in 1915 in the First World War. His grave was never identified until 1992. Rudyard Kipling had died many years before, still searching for his son. Known unto God, on a headstone is desperately sad but it also reflects a profound truth it means that we are created by him not simply evolved through a random process of selection but here's the thing that is so powerful we are known by God but we are also invited to know him in return that is possible because of Jesus and it is the greatest reality that we can ever experience.